listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. time today talking about church leadership. This is the fourth week, and uh, so we began our study. If, if you just jumping in and, and you haven't been a part, you haven't been, um, you haven't been caught up, then I want you to know that you can do that on our website. You can uh, go to the podcast button on the, on the homepage of our website, and you can uh, catch up there, audio. But, uh, you can catch up in an, in an, uh, an audio fashion. Um, you can also, if you don't already have our church app, you can download that from the App Store or the Google Play Store, uh, and it's just uh, it's going to be very helpful because you can catch up, uh, you can listen uh, to back uh, sermons and and catch up what you've missed out on. You get all the announcements there. Uh, you can get uh, all kinds of fun stuff. So if you don't have the church app, you can do that, or you can click a link again on our webpage, uh, oasischurchwh.org. And there's a little place that'll send you a link to your mobile phone. You can download the app, and that'll be very helpful for you. So if you haven't been able to, to be with us this far, then I would encourage you to, to catch up if you want. Just as a way of review, we've kind of walked toward, you know, how do we see church leadership? How does Scripture, how do we believe Scripture has laid that out, that it is to be uh, accomplished, and, and how is that supposed to function in 2020? And so we started off by by laying the ground floor foundation that uh, that the church is it's God's, it's His establishment. He He owns it. He's the owner operator, uh, but He also uh, sets up human representatives to represent Him, uh, not so much in His absence, but in his in his place it, it, as a as a representative of his a human representative of which Jesus if you think about it was the greatest human representative of God he was the god man god in flesh and so leaders in the church or leaders in what God is is doing as far as his connection with humanity uh, they're his choice and we're not real sure why he chooses to do it that way but we're just going to we're going to follow along with what he has has prescribed and described and 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 to the very best of our ability we're going to continue that process uh even 2020 years since Christ was on the earth and so we established that that this was his the church belongs to him but he sets up representatives who are those representatives? Well, in the New Testament, we came to the conclusion that when he describes uh, elders, bishops, and then one place that he describes them as pastor teachers, that these are the individuals that God is setting apart, that he is using as as leadership representatives of his and the church. And what what is their responsibility? What is their role as leaders? Well, we discovered in the, in the book that we just came out of, out of the book of Ephesians, that the responsibility of church leaders is to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. It's not the job of the leaders to do the work of the ministry. It's to equip the body to do the work of the ministry together. And that's what he uh, provides earthly representatives, if we can use use the term church leaders, that's what their responsibility is, is to lead the body toward the call of Christ, which is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and then teaching them to observe all that Jesus commands. We boil that down. We say two words. You know what they are, reach and teach. That's the responsibility of church leaders is to equip the body to do that. 
And so when we look and say, okay, well, what what are the uh, what are the, the the leaders? You know, what, what is connected to these individuals called elders, bishops, and in that one place, pastor teachers? And how, how do we know who to pick? How do we know who to choose? And so that led us into the idea of qualifications. And so last week we studied out of First Timothy and Titus. We saw where Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave these two elders, pastors, Timothy in Ephesus, Titus in the island of Crete. And then he says, I want you to appoint other elders, and here are the types of qualifications you need to be looking for. And we went through those line by line last week, and we, we discovered that there are character qualities that should be evident in anyone who would serve in the role of elder. And then we saw some subjective things that even if they were qualified, you know, is this something that they even want to do? Is this something that they're willing to do? Are they are they really capable of doing that at this time? Are they uh, going to be uh, on the same page with the other elders and, and to make sure that, that, that they are not only fit to serve as far as their character is concerned, but are they ready to serve as far as the context? Uh, is concerned. And so we saw all of those last week. And and so this week, what, what I'm going to ask you to do in reference to those qualifications, I've got a form that each and every one of our regular attenders is going to receive in your email. So as soon as we're done today, I'm going to send you an email that is going to have this document. And what we're going to ask everyone who is connected to Oasis Church. Now, Mainly, this is for covenant partners, but there's some of you who might not yet be covenant partners, but you've been a part of the ministry, you're you're dug in, you're you're in, and, and you see yourself as a part, and, and honestly, we see you as a part of us as well. So you're going to get this, and what you're going to do is you're going to fill out this form on our new candidate, who is, drumroll, uh, Michael Shannon, is our new candidate for elder. And you're going to say, well, wait a minute. I, I thought Michael was, he's already the, the children's pastor. You're correct. We'll get to that in just a second of how he was that and not, how is he not an elder? But we believe that God has set apart Michael and that he is a qualified individual to serve in the role of elder. And we want you to be a part of that process of which I'll get to in just a minute. But, but this is what you'll fill out. It's front and back. You can send it back to us in one of a number of ways. You can take it and you can fill it out, put it in the mail. You can mail it to us at 151 King Road, Winter Haven, uh, 33880, or you can take a picture of it and and text it to me, or you can uh, scan it and email it to us, or you can bring it back with you in person next week, or you could mysteriously drop it in my mailbox at some point because I know we've got some folks who have delivered other things that way as well. So however you want to do that, we want you to fill this out as you consider Michael Shannon. And these are just simply the biblical qualifications for serving as an elder. If you weren't here last week and you weren't, well, you weren't where you are last week or wherever you were when you listened, so bottom line, if you didn't hear what we talked about last week, I would encourage you to listen so that you can hear about these things. But I want you to evaluate Michael on the basis of his biblical qualifications. And here's what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to ask you to write your name and sign your name. If we get any of these back that are blank of a name, we're going to put them in the trash. If we get any of these back that aren't signed, we're going to put them in the trash. 
Because if anywhere on this list you say, well, you know what? As, as I see uh, above reproach, I say he's unqualified. What we're going to want to do is come to you and discover why it is you see Michael as unqualified in a particular area so that we can evaluate that as elders. And we can also involve Michael because you know what? Maybe you see something we don't. Or maybe you see something that's not true. And we want to make sure that we are following all of those questions and concerns, and we want to meet them in a very biblical, very open, very transparent way. So that's why we say, if it ain't signed, we're not looking at it. If it's not, if it doesn't have a name on it, we're putting it right in the trash because we want this thing to be above board, transparent. We want it to be uh, open and honest, and we truly are trying to do the best we can. So that's, uh, that's where we're at, and you'll get that at the end. So last we want to talk about so we've saw, we, 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 we've saw, we've seen his establishment and then we've seen his qualifications of his representatives. Uh, we have seen, uh, what was the, the, the middle one? What's the one I forgot? So his establishment, oh, his representatives, his qualifications. And now we want to see his way here. So, so how are we trying to put these principles that we find in God's Word, how are we trying to put these principles to work at Oasis Church in 2020? Okay, so here's where I want to try to get a little bit fancy, all right? I've got a, a thing that if we were at the church, I would show you this on the screen. But since we're not at the church, I'm going to try to show this to you here through this little deal. Okay, so I want to give you, and I know these are just dots, they're random. I want to give you a, a, just a, a very brief understanding of, of how church leadership has been accomplished, how these principles have been put to place historically. And there are, there are two major structures of church leadership that have dominated church history. And those two are called the Episcopal model, which you see here, and the Presbyterian model, which... I thought you would, there it is, you would see there. So the Episcopal model and the Presbyterian model. Let's go back to the Episcopal. Now, don't, don't get confused with the denominations that are Episcopal and or Presbyterian. Uh, yes, there is a connection to those denominational names, but it goes deeper than that. The Episcopal structure of church government has the idea that it is top-down. You have you have hierarchies of leaders. You would consider, uh, if you will with me, the Catholic Church. Now, who is at the top of the Catholic Church structure? Well, it's the Pope. And then underneath there, you have cardinals or whatever they've got. And underneath there, you've got priests or whatever they've got. And so it basically is an Episcopal structure of leadership, starting with a very top uh, position and then structuring down in other uh, in other layers. And so that's a, a church structure for many. There are many churches that are a part of denominations that have an Episcopal structure because it goes up to a top leader and it's basically whoever's further up to the top makes greater decisions than the folks that are down on the bottom. And so that is the Episcopal form of of government. The, the other form of government is 
what's known as a Presbyterian. It, it is a, 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 a presbytery of leaders. And so you'll see it's a little more flat with equal folks across the top. And then underneath there are other folks that are connected equally. So there is still a little bit of a hierarchy, but it's not as pointed. It doesn't go up to a principled leader. It's kept flat across a multiple of leaders. And so that is what's known as a Presbyterian form of government. And, and that is not always limited to a Presbyterian church. A lot of churches, a lot of denominations may in, involve multiples of those two types. But, but just as a general, there's been the type, the straight up version, and then the flat version of, of, of uh, equal leaders across the top. Well, then you've got uh, one that's very, very common and very, very new in history, and that is the idea of the congregational form of government. When, when the Reformation uh, happened and, and the Reformers said, look, these, what these guys are telling us is, is not the true counsel of Scripture, and they began to challenge that, then they found themselves on the outsides. Well, to begin with, they began to uh, try to, to find the leadership across the top, not being rogues and rebels, but to, well, actually, to be fair, they wanted to, 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 to reform the structure of the church. But when that wasn't going to happen, they tried to flatten this out so that we will be uh, more across the top as a leadership structure. But as all of those particular divisions and theological thoughts began to fracture and they began to say, well, we think this and we think that, well, once the top down became a little more flat, then it began to splinter. And a part of that splintering became what is very common, uh, the free church idea or the congregational type leadership, where it's really, it's, it's not top-down necessarily. It's not even flat across. It's more congregational. Everybody in the congregation gets together and everyone has the same say because they all have the same size vote. That's a fairly new structure historically, but it's a very common structure, especially in our Western church context. But that's a historical idea of how, and maybe you come from a church that you would say, well, you know what? We were a congregational church, but we were like this. I mean, there was a guy at the top and what he said went and that was that. Or maybe you come from a church and say, well, you know what? We were a free free church denomination. We weren't really connected to anybody, but we were more flat. I mean, there were a bunch of guys and we voted on them every year and they made the decisions and then we got together and voted on so it's, there's all kinds of ways in which this can be uh, performed and outlined. But I just wanted you to have an idea of those that are uh, historically connected and just kind of how it has worked in history. None of them representing exactly how God's word has prescribed. They're just looking at the same principles and attempting to ac accomplish it the best they can. Now, what we would say is the top-down structure has historically proven uh, to be very susceptible to corruption. Just do some history reading in the Middle Ages and see all of the corruption that happened in the Roman church 
once sin infiltrated the top in a massive way and then it began to trickle down. It, is, it happens at the same level even at a, at a more flat form of government. If corruption is in the, in the leadership, then it's going to trickle down even if it's across a nation or if it's just across a local church. So there are pros and cons to all. The one that we saw as congregational, I have never understood. Because what that does is that says that the youngest, most immature believer has the same say, has the same stake, or or the same opinion as one who has been, I believe, called to lead, qualified to lead. And that's never made sense to me. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about how this works out at Oasis Church. So his way expressed at Oasis Church. At Oasis Church, we have a government of elders. We are an elder-led ministry. You can read that in our constitution and bylaws. You can see how that is fleshed out. But so that you'll understand how it works, as an elder, we have one that is set apart and called the lead pastor. This lead pastor is the visionary elder and the primary biblical theological teacher. Now, when we say the, the primary visionary elder, that just means that they've been set apart and, and called to, to set the conversation in motion to be the first to come before the Lord in prayer, be the first to, to try to see the way forward as far as just how are we going to reach and teach in the context that we live in with the people that we have and the resources that are available to us. How are we going to accomplish that? What is it going to look like? The lead pastor is the primary visionary elder. And they're the primary biblical theological teacher. Doesn't mean the other elders don't teach. Doesn't mean that the other elders aren't a part of vision casting. It just means that the lead pastor as an elder is set apart to be the primary visionary. Now, we have other elders. So let me just throw this thing up right here and you'll see that. Okay, so you see our lead pastor. All right, so he's the primary. And so in, in this particular aspect, he's kind of just setting the lead vision. And then underneath, we have what are called elders who are qualified in the same way through the same lens that the lead pastor is qualified by. And these individuals work alongside the lead pastor as the board of directors to direct the ministry both physically and spiritually. So as it, as it comes to elders, then they are working alongside the lead pastor. So once we get past the primary visionary, vision casting, and, and, and the biblical theological teaching, then the elders with the pastor work side by side. Uh, they're the ones that are put together, and they talk about this vision. They talk about this way forward. They measure it through the scriptures. They pray over it. Together, they work simultaneously as they are seeking God in how to put forward what he desires for that particular local church. So the elders work together with them. So let's talk about elders for a minute. And, and there's three things that I want you to understand about how we do 
elder selection at Oasis Church. First, they are chosen as a candidate by the elders. Okay, so we've got two elders right now, myself and Mike Moore. And for the last two or three years, we have been getting together at least once a year for the purpose of coming with the idea of potential candidates and why we, after having prayed, after having just thought and wrestled individually of individuals we think might be qualified to serve as an elder. And so we come together and we go through the list. And if there are names that are on both of our lists, then we begin to talk about them. And we begin to consider, um, you know, are, are, we, are we finding some uh, unan- unanimousness here? Are we finding a, 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 something that, that God is at work in? We also talk about the under, other individuals of, of, well, I have this individual on my list, and here's, here's why I consider them uh, or considered adding them, and we talk about why they would not have been on the other list. Once we come and, and realize that this is an individual that we both feel is qualified, then we will begin watching them. Or if I could use the word, we would begin to prove them. We will prove them looking more closely at these individual qualifications out of Timothy and Titus and begin discovering whether or not our impressions are a reflection of reality or could it just be that we thought they might be qualified. And so we begin to watch them. We begin to prove them. We begin to take note of, of their actions, their attitudes, their their words, their their uh, their connection to the ministry, and, and, and their walk as best we can see with the Lord. So, if we have a unanimous agreement among elders that we have a candidate, well, then we bring them and and have them proved by the body. That's where you come in with the uh, with the, the the form that you're going to get to fill out. So, Mike and myself have have proven Michael to the best of our ability, Michael Shannon. And so now what we're going to ask you to do as the body is to either confirm what we have seen or help us see something that we were not aware of. So you have a part to play as well, and we want to involve you in that process. So the candidates are chosen by the elders, and it's a unanimous agreement by the elders. Then that process is proven, or that person is proven through the process of the body, and then that also has to be unanimous because we're going to go through and we're going to check anyone that says that he's not qualified in an area. We're going to come alongside. If it's if it's shown that actually we're wrong, well, then we'll tell Michael and we'll encourage him and, and we'll keep him, you know, not knock him out for contention. Remember, that that, that qualification thing is, is not for eternity and forever. It's for right now. So if we were to, if we were to, to discover that we didn't realize everything that we were looking at, then we would just simply stop the process there and continue on and allow God to lead in whatever way he will in the future. But if we're, if we're confirmed and we're able to see that, then we will uh, then install him as a leader, which is the third part. We'll install him through the body. I will actually uh, challenge him in a public worship service and we will encourage him. And on that Sunday, if he makes it through those steps or any other individual for an elder, then we will officially ordain them for service as an elder at Oasis Church. So that's how they are chosen. That's 
how they are proven. So let's talk about, if we can, in the absence of elders, because like you would probably be thinking, well, I think there's more on the board of of uh, a board of directors than just you and, and Michael more, uh, then how, how do those other individuals, well, I'm glad you asked, because we have in a, uh, we have at our disposal as a part of our constitution and bylaws, we have the ability to establish what we call trustees. You say, well, I didn't think trustee was a biblical term. It's not, it's not in there. But what we do in the absence of elders, we establish the role of trustee. What a trustee is, is someone that the elders have observed and considered to be a qualified individual, though not proven, not ordained, not gone through the process, but by looking at their life and, and assessing their level of walk with Jesus and their, to the best of our observation right now, their qualification, uh, that there's no glaring disqualification, we can appoint as elders trustees to sit on the board as an elder, giving opinion, giving thought, giving uh, idea, and being a part of the process so that we have a greater level of plurality in the church, but they are simply serving at the request of the elders. They serve for a year at a time, but can be reestablished and if there's ever any reason why they should be uh, removed from the board because of, uh, of, of time constraints or because of some particular action or, or thing that comes to our attention, we have the ability just simply to set them aside and replace them if need be. That's a trustee. They fill temporarily the role of an elder. Right now, we have uh, four trustees. We have Michael Shannon, who is currently serving as a trustee. We have uh, Eugene Roberts is a trustee. Uh, John Aldrich is a trustee and Chad Greer serving as a trustee. They're sitting on the board providing leadership help to the elders at their request because to the best of our ability, we've observed them to be qualified and helpful in that particular area. So that's how the, the elders and the trustees work together. But let's get back here. So Lead pastor, primary visionary, bringing forth the, 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 the way forward, and then together as elders, we work together to try to discover how we're going to accomplish what God is leading us as a ministry to do. But then in the area of accountability, the lead pastor and any other elder is completely under the accountability leadership of the other elders. You see, they're challenged, they're called to watch my life or anyone serving in my role particularly. They're the ones that are to watch and observe and to make sure that I remain qualified and that when sin enters into my life, and you know, it does on a fairly regular basis because I'm just like one of the rest of y'all. We're just broken, walking this thing out by faith when sin comes into my life, it's their responsibility to come alongside of me and say, now, Kevin, you know, we had that meeting and then so-and-so said that and then you bit their head off and, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't very kind. That wasn't very loving. I really think that you should go to them and apologize. It's their responsibility to hold me accountable. So I don't lead the ministry. The ministry doesn't do what I say. The ministry is God's. 
The ministry is led by Christ. We're just here representing him. In instances of primary visionary leadership, the pastor will take the lead. The lead pastor will take that lead. He'll teach the people. But when it comes to how that is worked out, we're working at it together. And then when it comes to my accountability or the accountability of any other elder, then we come under their authority. So that's kind of how it works here. We have other folks that we put in place as well as leaders. We call these individuals pastors or directors or, 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 or area leaders. Uh, you know, we don't always call them deacons because in the Baptist church tradition, the deacons were often used to serve in the role of, of elder but they weren't chosen and proven as much as they were just nominated and elected. And so because of the confusion with the word deacon, we typically don't <coughs> use that term very much. We call them area directors or pastors or, or ministry leaders, and that's the terms that we use. But they serve at the request, at the appointment of the elders in a certain area for a certain amount of time. And and then we have covenant partners, the members, who we're all working together, we're all serving together, and our desire is that everybody who sees themselves connected to the ministry at least be a covenant partner. And we work together to bring about uh, the, 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 the vision that God has given us for reaching and teaching and the context and the area and the time in which we're living. We've got leaders, we've got we've got area directors, and then we've got covenant partners and and, 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 and stakeholders that, that are working together. It's a body of informed and engaged partners in the ministry who seek to follow godly leadership and fulfilling God's call to reach and teach. And so that's kind of how it works here. We put the principles, we've, we've tried to say, okay, how does this work and how can we put, uh, how can we put, structures of accountability and, and ways to keep this from becoming a one-man show or a one-family show or a one-group show? How do we do this and keep this under the leadership of Christ to the very best of our ability, recognizing who this belongs to and, uh, and protecting it as best we can? So that's how it works here. Now, now to end off today, I want to talk about how it needs to work everywhere. Whether you're a top-down structure, whether you're a flat-down structure, whether you're a combination of sometimes up, sometimes down, sometimes flat, whether you're congregational, or whether you're something brand new that we've never even heard of before, I believe there's a way that all leaders should work and how they should all lead the people. Now, I just want to read, if I can, for you, Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse number 27. I'm going to read down through chapter number 2, verse number 8. I just want you to listen to what Paul is calling the entire church at Philippi to do. Here's what he says. Verse number 27 of Philippians chapter 1. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That sounds a lot like what he said to the Ephesians. Remember in chapter 4 of Ephesians? He said that we're to walk worthy of our calling. He says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you 
or whether I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are, and here's what he hopes to hear that's happening in their body. I hope to hear that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side. You remember we've talked about, you know, armored up and locked arms and, and, and we're standing together as a, as a body connected and with and for each other, that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not, not for the preser- preserving of that particular local church or that property or that, that identification or, or anything other than the gospel. I want to hear that you're striving side by side, not for the Republicans, not for the Democrats. I want to hear that you're standing and you're holding fast for the gospel. That's what I want to hear. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. And we're going to have them. Those that oppose everything that God is doing in and through us, I don't want to hear that any of you are scared. I don't want to hear that any of you are frightened. I want to hear that you're standing and you're, you're, you're firm and you're confident. Not frightened. He says, because this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. When we stand up to the opponents of the gospel for the cause of the gospel, and refuse to back down from the gospel, that's the clearest sign to them that their destruction is near. Even if they take our life, we know they've not thought about the trump card we have in our pocket. And what is that? Resurrection. So he says the greatest testimony of the defeat of opposition is just to stand without fear, not frightened, Verse number 29, for it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So Paul is telling the Philippians, you're going to suffer. It's coming. And I want to hear that you're standing firm. You're standing strong for the gospel, even in the presence of suffering, because you know that that's the clearest sign to those opposition that their destruction is near, but your salvation is at hand. Because even if they destroy your body, your resurrection is sure. He says, I want to hear that, that because you've been granted not only to believe, but to suffer, verse 30, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Chapter number two of Philippians, verse number one. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, he says, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, he says, listen, if I could ask for anything, if there's anything that I could desire from you, in verse number two, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each one of you look not only on his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And here we get to verse number five. And here's what Paul is going to do as he's calling on the Philippian believers to to, to live and to, to focus and to see their life through this lens. He's going to say, and now let me give you the best example to follow. The, the, the best way of, of, of illustrating what I'm asking you to do is to think about this one individual. And here's what he said in verse number five. Have this mind in you that was also 
which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul says, when I come to you, or if I don't get to you, I want to hear that you are standing, you are dug in for the gospel, you are striving with the same mind, the same focus, the same passion, the same heartbeat and desire for the gospel. And you're not afraid of opposition because you know they can't stop what God is doing. And you're uh, coming together willing to suffer for Christ and with Christ I want to hear that you're striving after that with the same love. And, and, and if, if I can illustrate that in any way, look what Jesus did and just do what Jesus did who emptied himself and laid what was rightfully his down so that in humility he might become one of us, considering us more valuable than all he could have grasped and held on to. And for the sake of his love for us, emptied himself and became obedient all the way to the cruelest death on a cross, becoming sin for you and for me so that we might be forgiven and we might be brought into the family. I don't know what kind of leadership structure that churches are going to employ. I know the one we're trying to employ and we're trying to do it to the very best of our ability, but here's what I do know. I do know that every church leader, every leadership structure should be about following the example of Jesus. Church leaders need to be the ones in a local body modeling unity. They need to be the first that come together wanting to maintain the unity and consistency of the body of Jesus. I know that leaders should model and be the first to model humility. The first to be willing to see others as of greater need than themselves and to come down to any and every level for the sake of the building up of the people, for the sake of the gospel. Leaders need to model and be the first to demonstrate commitment and consistency. No matter what the structure, they need to be committed first to Jesus. They may be, need to be committed to the scripture. They need to be committed to the gospel to the local church that they're leading. They need to be committed to one another. They need to be the first to model that commitment and consistency that our Savior has modeled before us. Church leaders need to be the first to model holiness. And I gotta be honest with you, even as I type that, and I updated this from when I preached it last, last night, even when I typed that, I thought, oh my gosh, am I leading the people? in the standard of holiness. Of course I'm not holy. Of course I'm not perfect. But am I leading them in the direction of the pursuit of holiness? And I pray that is the truth. But that should be the desire and the, and the commitment of every church leader, regardless of the structure. Leaders need to model and be the first to demonstrate bravery and courage in the face of opposition. And sometimes that just means keeping your mouth shut and allowing the suffering to come. 
and not necessarily standing up and fighting with fists, but rather just standing, knowing that the fight is worth it, that Christ has already won the victory, and that their defeat is imminent. We need to be the first to demonstrate and model bravery and courage. Church leaders need to be the first to model and demonstrate selflessness. It's not about me. It can never be about me. It can never be about any of the elders. It, it can't be about any of us. What we're doing today in 2020 is the same thing that Christ called those first disciples on the hillside to do. Go, make disciples. Teach them, train them, equip them. Leaders need to be the first to demonstrate servanthood. I hope that is how the body of Oasis Church feels. I hope they feel that their leaders are first servants because that's what we've been called to model and demonstrate. And then lastly, church leaders need to be the first to model and the first to demonstrate sacrifice. They need to be in the first line of those that are to take on opposition. They need to be in the front row when it comes to taking a stand for the gospel, when it comes to taking a stand for what is right and true. They need to be the first to take that stand for Christ, regardless of what the world may say or do. That's his way everywhere. And, and then in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says this, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I just got to tell you, that, that really causes a, a shiver to go up my back. To follow me? 1 Corinthians 11, that's exactly what he says again. Follow me as I follow Christ. I've told you about the church structure, how, how we try to put God's principles to work at Oasis Church, but ultimately, leaders are to be, following, are to be leading you in following Christ. That's a tall order. James even says that they'll be held to a higher standard because of that great calling. That's how it works here. That's how it's supposed to work everywhere. And that's what we want to strive for. It's what I want to strive for. I hope that's what you want to strive for. So just a couple of thoughts as we close. Number one, keep in mind, this is just how we do it here. All church leadership structures are flawed. They're limited. They have holes. They have cons. Maybe there are more pros than cons, but they all have cons. Don't evaluate your church on the basis of the structure if those that are leading are leading the body to Christ. And then lastly, the application is follow leaders who are following Jesus. Don't choose the church that you're a part of because you like the music or you like the atmosphere or you like the dress code or you like the lack of the dress code or all of those things, whether they got good kids stuff or bad kids stuff or enough groups to fit your needs or, or they have enough stuff or this or that. Don't choose a church on that basis. Choose a church, follow leaders because they're following Jesus. And then walk with those leaders and follow Jesus with them. And to the best of your ability, 
walk with them on purpose. Be a part of where they're leading, so long as they're leading in the way that Christ is, is leading. So just a few things to keep in mind. That's the end of our church leadership focus. Probably created more questions than I answered. But at least that gets everybody on the same page of how we do what we do and why we do it that way so that you can be a part of the process in proving our newest candidate, which again, Michael Shannon. So be watching your email in the next, uh, I would say the next 10 minutes. Watch your email. You'll get a copy of this. Print it off, fill it out, send it back to us by mail, uh, scan, take a picture, text it, however you want to get it to us. Just get it back to us any way you can or, or wait till next week and, uh, and bring it back with you on Sunday uh, as that's our plan to be back together on Sunday. If you don't get it in the next couple of minutes, then you can send it here to my email and, uh, and that's where you can uh, let me know, hey, I didn't get my uh, evaluation form and could you send that to me? I'd be happy to do that. We want you to be a part. Listen, thank you so much for being with us. Those of you who are watching now live, I know there are others that will watch uh, later on in the day. Uh, just to really appreciate again how how we're all just going to stick this thing out together and uh, and allow God to do uh, His will in our life. I did get a a, a text back from uh, from Ty about his mom, so I'm going to pull that up real quick and see uh, what it has to say, so I can let you know. It says. Uh, he just got out of the hospital himself, Ty said. So at any rate, don't have any news on his mama. So I'll find that out and pass that on to you. Okay, look, we're going to pray. We're going to get out of here. Uh, go back and read Philippians 1.27 through Philippians 2, verse 8. That'll help you remember the example we're all trying to follow. And I uh, hope that's the reality of our life at Oasis Church. We love you. And uh, if I can be a help to you, give me a call. Text me, email me, however I can uh, however I can be there for you. I want to do that. So let's pray and we'll be done. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for uh, your word. Uh, we thank you for the privilege that we have to uh, to do our best to prove another leader that will that has already been a huge blessing to this ministry. Uh, and and then we we believe that you want to use him in a powerful way moving forward um, as a as an elder. At, uh, at the church, but as we go through this process, I pray that you'll cause uh, the, the body to be honest and to, uh, to communicate to the best of their ability, their observation of, of, uh, of their brother, so that we might, uh, with transparency and confidence, uh, be able to move forward in uh, whatever, whatever way you have uh, for us to do. God, we just, uh, just want to thank you for the opportunities that we have in front of us this week. I know some are facing uh, new challenges, uh, and I just pray that you'll give strength and ability and that, uh, that you'll give uh, encouragement, and uh, Father, that you'll use us in, in whatever way you see fit for your glory. We want to pray for our nation, and God, you, 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 you're going to give us what we need. I just believe that. And so, Father, we just want to say right now in advance, we trust you. We place our hope and our confidence in you. And we're just going to allow your will to be done. And God, give us the, the absolute uh, determination to represent Jesus, no matter what leaders are in place or what uh, individuals are elected. God, we just want to serve Christ, and we want to be a, 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 
an accurate reflection of Him to those that are watching around us. So, Lord, we just look forward to what's in store because we know you're in control. We thank you for that. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.